0: And Welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and today's episode is timely. We'll discuss the ongoing tension in China and the rise of the Chinese protester. We'll get into the reasons why people are putting their lives on the line to defy the China regime. Is it all about the zero COVID policies instituted by Chinese President Xi Jinping, or are there other factors? We're also going to delve into President Biden and his administration's response to the Chinese protester. Has the narrative or lack thereof been a help or a hindrance? What does effective diplomacy look like? Well, we have a wonderful guest to break that all down. Miles Yu joins us. Miles Yu is a senior fellow and director of the China Center at Hudson Institute and co-host of its new China Insider podcast. He is also a professor of East Asia and military naval history at the the United States Naval Academy. During the Trump administration, he served as a China policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. In that capacity, he advised a secretary on all China-related issues and helped overhaul U.S. policy towards China. It is an honor and pleasure to have you on She Thinks today. Miles You thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Beverly.
0: And in reading so much of what you've written over the years, I think one of the things that's most interesting is you are writing about it from the perspective of somebody who was raised in China. You understand the Chinese very well. I thought we would just start by talking about your background and um, how you go from being born and raised in China to working for the Secretary of State.
1: Well, as you say, I was born and raised in China and... Uh... And I came here to the United States in 1985 as an exchange student to a little tiny college in Pennsylvania called the Swarthmore College. And after that, I, I went to uh, a wonderful uh, grade school uh, on the West Coast with uh, some dubious reputation uh, of radical uh, activism. Uh, it's called the University of California at Berkeley. So I got my doctor's degree there in military history and diplomacy and came to the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland um, in 1994. So I have been a professor uh, here in Annapolis for a long time. So, uh, and then basically, you know, when the Trump administration came along um, and uh, so I perform a duty as a citizen of the United States and uh, um, I serve as uh, Secretary Pompeo's China policy advisor. And we had a wonderful time, as you um, indicated in your introductory remarks. And we did uh, tremendous. Then we changed the uh, direction of our policy toward China. And uh, that change, I think, has some permanency in there.
0: And you wrote a great op-ed this week that was published in the New York Post. And you talked about the Chinese protester. And really what what they're thinking, what it is that they're doing before we get into some of the specifics in this these most recent protests, can you just give me, give us a general understanding of the Chinese people, what their view is of the current China regime and what their view is of the united states
1: I think China is a big country, but big country has basically a a, a most the uh, um fundamental reality that is uh the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese people, they have separated, gone their own way a long time ago, in about 20, 30 years. Uh, but the Chinese Communist Party is a party of a monopoly of all powers in China. So they hold uh, the uh, the key to major aspects of um, of human existence in China, for example. Uh, so that's why you don't see the daily uh, sort of you know, uh, confrontation between the government and the Chinese people. And number one, people no longer believe in communism. The Chinese Communist Party is a diehard, uh, devout believer and a practitioner of Marxism Leninism. But the Chinese people, uh, they're doing their own way. They're pursuing um, all the status symbols of the um, Western uh, lifestyle. Um, they try their best to send their kids overseas. They, uh, they try to make money and once again uh, make money and, and get out of China um, in all possible means. Uh, so... Um, uh uh the impetus for confrontation between pe- the people yearning for freedom um, um and the government uh sort of basically you know, um, experts in uh, uh, specializing in con- social control uh, is always there. Uh, the, the, reason, the only thing that matters is opportunities. I think the COVID lockdown, the draconian COVID uh, lockdown, uh, COVID zero policy provides just the opportunity. So, in other words, the current wave of uh, social protests in China uh, uh, started the uh, a, a protest, but didn't cause the, uh, the, uh, the protest. The cause is much more fundamental, much more ideological, much more subterranean.
0: And we do know that in China, information flow is restricted. There is censorship. How are the Chinese people still understanding the ideas of freedom? Is it because we've exported democracy in other ways, either through our products or our programming? How is it that they're learning about the American way? What is the censorship level like of the Chinese government?
1: So one of the most uh, interesting phenomenon um, of the China's relationship with the rest of the world in the past, I oh, say, 30-some years it is a massive economic engagement. The Chinese government's uh, 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 approach is to basically extend that economic engagement, but the extraordinary political control, including information control. So, uh, but economic engagement could also be risky for the Chinese government as well, because when you have economic engagement, for example, you have Apple, you have, uh, uh you have Walmart in China. It's always impossible. It's almost impossible to completely cut off the information flow because Apple has to communicate with its headquarters in California. Apple has a lot of employees and workers, so uh, there is a VPN. There is always the issue of Twitter, right? Twitter is banned, and like all other social media outlets in the West, including Facebook, including Google. Um, so, uh, but that. Sort of great firewall of China could also be porous. If you are a uh, a decent, uh, if you are a person with decent knowledge of IT technology, you can easily sign on Twitter uh, anonymously in China. Even though, uh, if the couple wants to get get at you, they can always find you. But what I'm saying is here is that in China, you may know information, but the problem is once you cannot really spread. Or use that information to make your own political expression. And that could be very risky. So, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's not uh, that the Chinese people cannot, uh, say anything, um, uh, that the government doesn't like. It's the consequence. Uh, the consequence is very immediate and it's a very, very draconian. So, uh, that's why the Chinese government rules China by fear.
0: Yeah. And what's been so impressive and really a sign of their bravery is to see the protesters who are willing to take on the Chinese regime, even knowing that the repercussions could be very dire for them. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the history of uprisings and protests in China. Is this something that happens often that just doesn't get the same type of worldwide coverage we're seeing right now with COVID, or something really unique going on right now?
1: Social protest, uh, uh, um in the public arena, is very rare. It's also uh, not really that long because the uh, really the, the first uh, social uh, protest in public square uh, took place just a little over 100 years ago uh, in what we call the, the May 4th Movement of 1919. Uh, so for about 30 years after that, the Chinese people did have the the, the right, uh, did have the opportunity to, to stage all kinds of social protest. And uh, of course the Chinese Communist Party uh, usurped that uh, form of uh, political expression and they used this uh, social protest as a way to topple their um their uh opponent which is the nationalist government so in nineteen forty nine partly because of this kind of you know uh usurpation of the social uh protest uh and the chinese communist party came to power and after nineteen forty nine uh, when chinese communist party came to power all form of social press has been banned and and if you do, and you will have suffer severe consequences. So, all form of public expression of political views in China, are impossible basically. But it's impossible directly. There are always other ways of oblique dissent, oblique resistance, assistance. One of the very uh, uh, pervasive way of passive resistance was just to, to try to get out of China. Um, so that's why the longest line in the world. Uh, is the uh, line of people waiting for for visa, exit visa from the Western um, embassies and consulates in China, particularly American consulates um, um, in China. So that's why one of the ways, another way is basically, you know, uh, is to sort of have a a, um, a massive disengagement with the authorities. If the Chinese government wants you to, to do one thing, people uh, do not resist you, but they just uh, do not care. They walk away, right? So that's basically, uh, uh, in China, there's an expression called the tangpin, which means lying flat. You don't really stand up to to engage with the party. you just lying flat, doing nothing. It's like a dropout, like the hippies in the 1960s.
0: And and it seems that it was the COVID zero policies that maybe those people who just wanted to drop out and not engage, they had no choice but to engage because the government could have come to their home and said, you're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z. So did this really engage a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily view themselves as somebody who wanted to be an activist against the government? And also on that note, how large are these protests and what have been some of the repercussions for people who have spoken out?
1: Well, this is actually very interesting. COVID uh, um, uh, protest is different. It's slightly different in a way that in the past, the main targets of the Chinese government's repression were the people at the lower uh, uh, layers of the social stratification. That means the migrant workers, the rural or uh, poor, um, the hundreds of millions of people who uh, uh, are uh, categorized in a different kind of household registration system. Uh, this time is different. The COVID resistance, the current wave of protest, was led by the what we might call middle class, because those are people who own properties in the urban centers in Beijing, Shanghai, Chongqing, Guangdong. Uh, so those are people who uh, who uh, have uh, substantial means and they own properties. Uh, the reason why they rose up is because they are also the victims of the lockdowns. When they say COVID zero covid lockdown that means basically nobody can get out so uh, that's why uh the middle class people in china do not even have the space and private space uh not to engage with chinese communist party so they were basically not having no no other way but to rise up and uh, and lead the uh, the social protest and when they did that and all other sectors of the Chinese uh, Chinese society join them. You can see the uh, the uh, the rural poor join them. You can see the uh, intelligentsia, particularly the university professors and students, um, and they provide a different different uh, flavor to the protest, which is more direct and more politically charged.
0: And the news breaking this morning, um, and just so our listeners know, we're recording this on a very historic day, December 7th. So this is Wednesday. Um, one of the things that we're hearing is that the Chinese government is changing some of their policies in relation to the COVID lockdowns. So why are we seeing this easing of restrictions? And And it's really been incremental. We've seen this, I believe, three times in the past four weeks or so now where they've started easing some of the restrictions. Is this because of the pressure of the protests?
1: Well, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that the Chinese government, they uh, for the government, uh, uh, historically, their preferred way of dealing with the issue like this is basically use, uh, use, use, uh, uh, power, use, uh uh, 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 machine guns and tanks. Uh, but this time is very different because the protest was so widespread. Uh, even some of the regime base was motivated to, to rise up. Uh, so I think they're scared. Uh, instead of using tanks and machine guns, this time they use uh, uh, this relative sort of ease to diffuse the uh, the tension. The degree of outrage against the current stupid policy of zero uh, lockdown um, is just astonishing. So the Communist Party knows this. Uh, so what they're trying to do is to ease this, uh, the, the, the lockdown um, and uh, allowing people to, uh, uh, to go out. But in practice, they are still implementing the draconian measures, demanding everyone to have a daily test, for example. And they're still not providing the infrastructure to allow people to have access to food and uh, um, and medicine. So uh, the police are still pro- uh, 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 everywhere in, in China. So that's why uh, what's going to happen in the next few weeks is very crucial. So the Chinese government uh, uh, sort of... Uh, uh, They only loosen the leash, but the leash is still on your neck.
0: And one of the things I found fascinating that you wrote about is what some of the Chinese protesters are saying. Give me liberty or give me death, for example. Can you give us some of those anecdotes of what you've been hearing on the ground there and how the protesters have been speaking out?
1: Well, I think, you know, uh, um, seemingly uh, the... Because the, similarly, the, the reason for people to go down the street is the uh, the COVID policy, but after, obviously, instantaneously, is turned into political. So people know this is really uh, uh, a a battle between uh, liberty and the communism. So uh, you might say, you know, uh, the intellectual source of this uh, 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 is uh, multifaceted. Uh, first of all, it came from one guy in early October who unfurled uh, a, a banner. In, uh, in Beijing, I not mean, a single act of protest uh, in the retali- totalitarian regime like China is very significant because, uh, first of all, the bravery is just uh, uh, astonishing. Uh, and secondly, it's the message. The message is that, listen, uh, 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 give me liberty. Uh, uh, don't give me lockdown. Right. And uh, it's 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 very very simple. So that's why uh, uh, the uh, the phrase "liberty or freedom" "自由" uh, in Chinese is uh, the most popularly cited uh, slogans uh, um, in all protests across China. Secondly, I will say they uh, the protesters drew their intellectual uh, source inspiration from the protesters of Hong Kong three years ago. Mm. Uh, Hong Kong protest is is nothing uh, but about freedom. So, uh, for example, uh, the, uh, the most popular, the widely used, uh, uh bottle hymn, if you will, on the street in China in the last several weeks is exactly the exact same bottle hymn, um, uh, protest, uh, uh, used by the Hong Kong prisoner, uh, Hong Kong protesters, which is basically the song from the very popular, uh, Broadway, uh, blockbuster, uh, Les Miserables. Can you hear the people sing? Uh, and it's very powerful, inspirational. Of course, there's always this uh, this uh, uh, very clever uh, way of using the Chinese Communist Party's own tool uh, of propaganda uh, to uh, to destroy the Chinese Communist Party's uh, 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 propaganda, and that is uh, uh, if you if you uh, if you know the Chinese national anthem, for example, uh, the, uh, the 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 march of the volunteers, uh, it's called uh, the first line. Of the, uh, of the Chinese national anthem, uh, goes something like this, uh, arise those who refuse to be slaves. Mm. Uh, so this first line also is repeatedly used by protesters all over China. Uh, of course, there's uh, been a communist country. There is always this uh, communist international. Uh, in China, it's called the You Go." Everybody knows how to say it. I mean, the 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 lyrics there uh, was pretty subversive. Uh, even though uh, it was meant uh uh for the uh the proletariat to overthrow the capitalist system, but you know the proletariat in China uh, used that uh, to overthrow the uh, dictatorship of the proletariat, which is Chinese Communist Party.
0: Well, I want to take a brief moment to talk to you, our listeners. You may know that Independent Women's Forum is the leading national women's organization dedicated to enhancing people's freedom, opportunities, and well-being. But did you know that we are also here to bring you women and men on the go, the news? You can listen to our High Noon podcast and intellectual download featuring conversations that make a free society possible. Hear guests like Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin discuss the most controversial subjects of the day, or join us for Happy Hour with At The Bar, where hosts Inez Stepman and Jennifer Braceres chat about about the latest issues at the intersection of law, politics, and culture. You can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or search for high noon or at the bar in your favorite podcast app. Now, Miles, I want to circle back to what you said earlier, and that is the importance of the next few weeks. So the way that uh what's going to happen as far as the lockdowns continue, how these protests are going to be viewed. And I'm assuming how diplomats across the world respond to this as well. Can you tell us just a little bit about what the President Biden administration has done so far? If anything, they've been fairly silent. And what does that mean? It, not only to encourage or discourage the Chinese protester, but what does that say to the Chinese regime?
1: Uh, before uh, I answer the question directly, I might to, uh, uh, I might want to add something that uh, uh, that the, uh, you refer to. That is uh, the role of women in the social protest in this particular uh, incident. Uh, it's extraordinary. Uh, women demonstrate uh, uh, amazing courage, and uh, in many incidents, when the Chinese police try to arrest protesters, uh, and normally it's the women. Uh, brave women who stood up, uh, stood up and, uh, uh, to confront the police. And they were the ones, uh, who rescued, um, uh, the, uh, the protesters in danger of being arrested. And the most famous example was the protester in, in, uh, my hometown, Chongqing. Uh, when he was surrounded by, by the police, which had to arrest him after he gave a very inspirational speech. The women basically shouted at the police and pushed the police away and successfully rescued him this reminds me of uh, of the uh, of the role played by women during uh, many of the uh, momentous uh, revolutions particularly the French Revolution of 1789 so I just want to add that that's a, that's a, the, the, the power of women in China is really is amazing
0: and then talk about President Biden and his response or lack thereof so far.
1: excuse me, Um, President Biden and the White House issued a very lukewarm response and very general. It it, it was uh, saying that we support uh, everybody's right to peacefully protest. And uh, that's basically, uh, uh, it's a softball. Uh, It did not really address uh, uh, the real issue. It is a great opportunity for the United States to stand up for freedom um, um, as a champion uh, and struggling for, by the Chinese people. Uh, it is very important for us to understand what the United States means to hundreds of millions of people in China yearning for freedom. It is the inspiration, it is a beacon of freedom. People aspire for the United States to lead the cause of liberty globally. And that leadership role has always been there The reason why Chinese Communist Party hates the United States is not because who is in charge at the White House. It's because the very existence of the United States scares the Chinese government because they know the United States power of inspiration for the Chinese people is enormous. If the Chinese people all want the same thing that Americans want, and uh, the the government of China will not be be communist. So that's why they understand this. Uh, and I think, you know, um, sitting in the White House, um, any leader should really, really understand our own power. And I think and very few leaders uh, know that completely. Um, Ronald Reagan did that, and he understood why the United States is morally superior, why the United States is actually uh, the, the inspirational source for millions of dissidents within the uh, uh, evil empire, in the Soviet Union, the Eastern Bloc, And that's why he stood firmly, firmly uh, um, uh, behind the the um, the the, uh, the dissidents um, in the Soviet Union. And I think you know uh, uh, because of uh, the, uh, the 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 large number of uh, immigrants from the Soviet Union, former Eastern Europe, and they inform the American government what the American go- policy should be. And, and I think similar things happening in the United States. You have a large number of uh, Chinese immigrants like myself who could provide some insights um, on what's going on in China, what's at stake. Now, hopefully, and we did that during the Trump administration. I, I, I hope that the Biden administration could be more direct, could basically, you know, uh, seize this opportunity to stand on the right side of history, like President Ronald Reagan did.
0: Well, before you go, um, first of all, just want to say it's really important information that you're bringing to us. And I know that you're continuing to do that. As I said before, you are the director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute, but you also have a new podcast that you launched this week called the China Insider. Can you tell us a little bit about that podcast and what people could get from that?
1: Well, um, China Insider is a uh a, um, a, um, a project uh, under the aegis of China Center at the Hudson Institute. What we're trying to do is we're going to provide a weekly uh, analysis of news, uh, of events, and uh, um, and uh, anything related to China and the U.S.-China relations um, from the perspective of the China Center. So we believe we try to sort of uh, analyze China from inside out rather than outside in. Uh, many think tanks and many... Uh, uh, um, Institutions in the United States, particularly in Washington DC, tend to sort of uh, uh, examine ourselves um, extensively without considering what really is going on in China. So we, um, we debate on how tough, how hawkish we should be toward China and um, without really, really understanding um, why we should be uh, taking certain um, particular policy um, in the context of Chinese view, Chinese strategic culture. Um, and uh, 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 vis-a-vis the United States. So we're trying to provide something very different and unique and timely.
0: Absolutely. And people can get that wherever they get their most uh, up-to-date podcast. is called The China Insider. Miles Yu with the Hudson Institute, really a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much for sharing your insight.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you all for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting IWF.org backslash donate. That is IWF.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode. So your friends know where they can find more She Thinks. From all of us here at IWF, thanks for watching.